So this is kind of the end of this series together and trending. You know, we started by saying that we live in a trending society where when something's said, it gets put on social media, and then from there it can take any life it so chooses. Um, I, I love social media. I love its effect. I uh, also have moments that make me scratch my head. Uh, one of my dear brothers came to me this morning, and I threw out a funny thing on social media, lighthearted, and you can just see where it, it goes, so I had to delete it. Um, y'all, y'all been there where you post something, and you're like, oh, that's awesome, it's hilarious, and then you see somebody took it as like a shot, and you go, well, what was that? That's not how I meant it at all. Um, today, we are, we're going to talk about one of those moments where Jesus says something, and the whole world would have tweeted it. They would have sent it out on social media. They would have put a meme with it. They would have done something to make the world go, did you just hear what Jesus said? Last week we talked about Jesus had just finished saying in Matthew chapter 10 uh, that he goes, hey, don't assume that I just came to bring peace, but also the sword. Your father will turn against son, mother against daughter. I always thought it was really interesting. I didn't bring this up last week, but it says, daughter against mother-in-law, and I always think that's why we struggle with our in-laws so much. Um, but in all that passage, he just keeps going through these relationships, and then he says the statement of statements, and we're going to pick up there in verse 38. He says, and anyone who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me, we'll find it. Man, when we hear that, we get context of Jesus on the cross, right? Like when we read it, we see Jesus who's died for our sins, who's paid the price on the cross, who was buried and rose again. We, we get context of Jesus. Then they have no understanding of what Jesus is really saying to anybody. You got to know that in Jesus' time, the cross in Jesus' day was a visual sign of a crime. In Jesus' day, the cross was a visible sign of a crime. Rome brought the cross to the forefront. Back in their history, there was uh, one of their leaders that saw crucifixions happening, and he thought, what a novel way to get people to stop doing crimes. And so only way to kind of put this in perspective and, and to give the kind of gravity of it would be to kind of think of back in the day when they had the electric chair. Only difference would be that electric chairs would be lining I-40 because it would have been the most populous place they could have gotten it so that as you came into town, you kind of understood if you did a crime that caused death, they were going to put you on display so that the next guy that thought about doing it wouldn't even think about it. It was so visible to people that they knew, hey, I don't want to do anything that would cause me to be on a cross. But see, at this point, Jesus already knows where he's heading. But let's not forget, he keeps kind of telling the disciples, hey, this is where I'm going. This is what's going to happen. And they don't get it. And in this moment, Jesus is saying to everyone around them, if you follow me, just know this may cost you every relationship that you have. And it may cost you a cross. And I got to believe like you do that all of us would have gone. Jesus just said that we're going to go to a cross. 
And all of our friends would have been like, oh, no, he didn't. They'd have done the snap meme, you know what I'm saying? They'd have done anything in that moment to kind of go, I can't believe that Jesus would say that we're going to go to a cross if we're following him. But here's the thing about following Jesus. The path of following Jesus, even in that moment, was life-threatening. It was life-threatening because Jesus wasn't really popular with the religious crowd. He wasn't even really popular with the Roman crowd. He wasn't really popular with anybody except for those that were like literally hungry and spiritually hungry. Because they had kept going to church and they kept you know, seeing what the people were doing there and it didn't connect with their hearts. It was all these rituals. It was all the things they had to do and it didn't line up. They had done all the stuff, but they had never felt a change happen in their lives. And maybe that's your story too. Maybe you're like that crowd around Jesus that you've done the church thing for forever and it's never really touched your life. You've done all this stuff. You've you participated in all of the happenings of church world, but it's never really made any difference in your life. And I would tell you the difference is one single word, Jesus. Because I can tell you, I'm a preacher's kid, and now I'm a pastor. So I'm a preacher kid pastor. That's, that's a PKP. Um, and I've been in church a long time, and I've shared with you my story of how Man, when it's a preacher's kid, I really didn't like church that much. I, I remember going to work days with my dad where he and I were the only ones that would show up. And we would still work. He'd say, well, if it's me and you, you got that, I got this, we'll see you in a few minutes. I can remember days where we had a massive gathering in our church. And like one other couple in my family stayed to clean it. I, I remember these days and I remember people boasting about how much they loved their church but never showed it anywhere and so I grew up with a really jaded version of church world where I kind of went God I will serve you but I really don't like the church and Jesus showed me that when I fall in love with him I will love the church because he loves it and he knows it more than any of us my friend Ed this morning we were out in the foyer and we were talking about things that God's showing us and teaching us through Scripture. And, man, I, I love to hear God pour out of people. You can just, when you're around people that spend the time in Scripture, it just kind of comes out of their pores. And he was just sharing with me how God just is speaking to him and things he's been hearing and what God's doing. And, man, that just electrifies me. And that's why we get here together. This is not a retirement home. This is a place where sick people come in and get around people that are getting healthy. I, I can promise you this is not a hospice. You do not come to Christ and simply die. You come to Christ and live. This is a teaching hospital. This is where we get together and we're there for one another and we help each other through the mess that's around us. But I want to tell you something. The church at Quell Creek does not exist in this building heard this great guy that gave this TED talk about why people were leaving the church, and he's one that left the church. He said, I got tired of all of the building and the rituals and everything, and I wanted to find a real deal group of people that loved Jesus, and I couldn't find them in any buildings. And that just hit me at the core, 
because it spoke to the preacher's kid from an Odessa who felt the same way that he had saw so many people coming into worship but not being changed by it. I, I sat through the moments where our organ player would just hit that great note and how great thou art and our people would go, woo! And then they'd walk outside and cuss each other out. I got to tell you, we are the church. We are that. And how we change it is this. We start to identify that it's not about coming into this room that makes us the church of Jesus. It's about us following him outside these walls. It's about us taking the greatness of who Jesus is to our neighbors and to our family members. Because it's meaningful and it's eternal. And listen, Jesus wants to change us. He doesn't want to leave us the same. But are we okay with just coming in and singing about him? Or do we really want to be changed by him? I, there's this huge lesson that comes from college football. I've had a lot of friends throughout my life that have made it to Division I schools. Uh, one in particular went to West Point. He was probably our greatest linebacker in my high school career. He got offers to go everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, you name it. And his dad was a military guy, and he wanted to follow in his footsteps, so he went there. And I remember him calling back and talking to us as friends and saying, I didn't realize how hard they worked at this. You know, in high school, he was elite. He looked like a man amongst boys. He was just that guy that when you saw him on the football field, you went, oh, he's next level. Some of y'all seen those. They're just those phenoms that come around every once in a while that just, their bodies are different. They're just massive human beings. They, they're just big. And this guy was big. He looked like he should have been one of our defensive linemen. He was so big, but he was a linebacker and he was quick and he liked to hit people. So it made me very happy to watch him. And so when he ended up going to college, he said, man, they run longer than we did in high school. They lift more than what we lifted in high school. They know more plays than I could ever even imagine in high school. And I still have to go to college. And I said, man, how's it going? He goes, I love it. I'm convinced of this, that most Christians will not grow in their faith because we like to be lazy rather than we like to be connected to God. So I'm going to give you three quick tools before we continue on the sermon to help you do that. Right now, if you don't start reading your Bible, if you haven't started that and, and it's just not something you're doing, start in Matthew. That's that divide point in Scripture. It's Old Testament, New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. Grab Matthew and start reading one chapter a day. That's it. Just one chapter. Start there. If you're not currently praying, I want to challenge you to pray twice a day. You ready? Once in the morning. Start there. Right, right before your feet hit the ground, quick prayer. God, I don't know how to do this, but today's yours. Help me to be the man or the woman you call me to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And step out of bed. And then before you get back in bed, do it once more. Amen. The next... Connect with somebody of faith. Connect with somebody of faith. Listen, we have so many connections in our world. I just sent one of our brothers uh, that I want to get connected with some other people in town. And so I said, hey, man, set up a lunch for us. Let's just get together and eat lunch. I've never met them and I like to. He said, I'm in. That's just connections. So your next step is to do this. Find someone in your life that's walking after Jesus and spend time with them for that reason. Say, hey, listen, I know this is crazy. But can we get together at least once a month for a burger and just sit across from each other and say, hey, 
what's next? How are you growing? How are you connecting? How are you serving? Let me, let me do that alongside you because I don't know how to do that. Those three things I believe could change your spiritual walk. I believe it with all my heart. Here's the other thing it's going to do. It's going to show you if you really know Jesus. Because when you spend time in Scripture, when you spend time in prayer, when you spend time with another growing Christian, it'll reveal if you know him. And you want to know him. I promise you. So, Jesus tells this group, if you're not willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. And you can just imagine for a second what that really is saying to this crowd. If you're going to follow after me, you got to know we're all going to carry a cross. And one in that crowd really was going to do that. I mean, they're thinking criminals. They're thinking an uprising. Don't, don't mistake what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's talking to those that believe that the Messiah would come with the sword, ready to take over. And so when he says, don't assume I came to bring peace but the sword, and then he says, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross, you're not worthy of me. This is revolutionary in speaking. But some of those people had seen crosses before, and before we forget the severity of the cross, we have kind of a, a PG version of the cross, don't we? We always have Jesus hanging on the cross with coverings. But for those of y'all that are historians that really know, this isn't what's done. You're hung on the cross with nothing because it was shameful and disturbing. And they didn't just let you linger. If they got tired of waiting on you to die, they would break your legs so you couldn't breathe. This was brutal. This was visible. This was hostile. And you can just imagine as you walk down the street, this main road going into a city, as you saw people on the cross who were crying out in pain, you would go, I don't know what this guy did, but I'm not doing that. Lest we forget what they hung on Jesus' cross. Remember? Jesus, king of the Jews. That was his crime. Hung between two thieves. But only one person in this crowd, as he's saying, if you're going to follow after me, if you want to be worthy of following after me, bring your cross with you. Only one in this crowd is going to do that. And he's really trying to convince them that he has a plan for their lives. Sometimes in our lives, when we face suffering, when we face turbulence, when we face pain or doubt or fear, we don't know how to handle it. We, we go to God as though he's harming us instead of changing us. But listen to what 2 Corinthians 4 says. This is not going to be on there, so if you've got a Bible, find it real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says this. Therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, did you catch that? Even though our outer person is being destroyed. That's this stuff. That's the stuff that we, we just can't seem to get rid of, can we? we? We fall into sin time and time again. It says this, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. Those moments that we feel stressed or harmed or hurt or sick or dying. These momentary light afflictions 
in view of all of eternity is so small, even though it may feel like you're suffering day after day, month after month, year after year, in light of eternity, it is but a glimpse. So our light momentary affliction is producing for us right now an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Our current sufferings, our current stresses, our current whatevers. But what is unseen is eternal. You and I are locked in a battle. And you may feel like you're losing this battle today. You may feel like you can't make it out, that there's always something out there to get you. Always there's something to harm you. Always something to make you stumble in your walk with God. Let me just tell you something. That battle is not being waged by you. But you have a God who loves you, who fights your battles. So as much as you think that you may be in this battle and you're not winning and you feel broken and disturbed and harmed and fearful, just know it keeps producing this eternal thought that something great in God is about to break free. And let's not forget that God can still do what seems unimaginable. I have a dear brother in this church who went in for a report and they found that he might have some cancer. So they go in to do a biopsy on it. They take it out. They wait for the results. They go in this week and they say, you know what, it's, it's so small at this point. We may just have to wait and see. You know what, my God can do amazing things. He's powerful. He's amazing. He loves you. And he loves you so much that as he says, those that follow after him must take up their cross. What he's really saying is this, fall into me because I will do it. As much as you think falling after me is going to cost you, just realize it cost Jesus everything. He had no home. He had no family. It cost him his life. And he did all of this, every single bit of it, so that you might find real life. The Christian life is about finding something of substance. It's about discovering that there's something greater than what we can produce on our own. And what's the greatest part about it is going after God is not like trying to find something hidden in a page. It's black and white in an empty page. If you want to find real life, look to Jesus. He will meet you and guide you from there on. I think I've told you before, but when we were in India, the missionary wanted us to have a real Indian experience. And so we were leaving a pastor's conference, and he put each of us into this little rickshaw with a rickshaw driver and one of the orphans from the orphanage that spoke okay English. So I was like, awesome. I got into my rickshaw, looked at the orphan, and he gave the driver directions, and off we went. And if you've never been in a rickshaw in India, let me tell you what it looks like. If you took one small pebble and you threw a thousand large boulders at that pebble, that's what it was like riding in a rickshaw in India. Cars would slam into the side of the rickshaw. You know, it's open-sided. You're just kind of sitting in a little seat, me and this little orphan from India and the driver who, I don't know where he was going, but after about an hour which the trip should have taken about 15 minutes. 
I looked at the orphan and I said, do you know where we're going? And he goes, I think so. And I went, tell the driver. And he goes, oh, we don't speak the same language. That was awesome. And so I started looking around. Now, we were in Bangalore, India. About a million plus people in Bangalore, India. Uh, the city is probably about the size of Canyon. Uh, just packed. They build on top of each other. It's, it's crazy. Little side streets, little back roads. And so finally I tapped the driver and I just said, stop. And he, Irk. and I, I step out of the rickshaw and I look at the orphan and I said, can you tell him to wait? And he goes, I'll try. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Uh, walked into a pizza hut because that's awesome. And I walked in and I said, do any of y'all speak English? And this guy goes, I speak English. And I was like, <laughs> come here. Uh, walked him out to the orphan. I said, do you know the address? And he said, I think so. <laughs> yes, this is going to be awesome. Uh, so tell him the address. I said, can you tell him the address? And they start talking. And they just keep talking. And I'm, I sit down in the rickshaw and I'm looking at the orphan. And I'm going, do you know where we are at all? And he goes, I don't know. I think so. I'm like, that's all this kid knows is I think so. So we're, we're sitting in front of, you know, Pizza Hut. And finally he nods and Indians have kind of a bobblehead nod. They do like this and then we take off. And we go back in the direction we came from. It takes us three minutes and we arrive at the house we're supposed to be at. We park and the missionary walks out and goes, oh, Kyle, I'm so sorry it took so long. And I was like, Sorry. You're sorry? If it wasn't for Pizza Hut, I wouldn't be here right now. I, and the rickshaw driver started talking. He goes, oh, you owe me this much money. And he paid him. And we're walking in. And the missionary just said, we should have given you all better directions. I started thinking about that. You know what the difference would have been in the rickshaw driver is if the missionary would have drove the rickshaw. We'd have gotten there like that. Better direction. The problem is I had a driver who I couldn't speak with. And somebody had directions that couldn't give them. And that has to be today maybe how you feel with Jesus. That you've gone to several people that can't even speak the way you speak or give directions the way you could take them. And they've tried to convince you that you've got to be an elite in faith to catch what Jesus is saying. But that isn't ex at, just at all how Jesus wanted this to come across. He found crowds that were disenfranchised with church. He found people that had been abused by it and left behind by it. And he gathered them. You see, Jesus loves people like me and you. you know, a preacher's kid that didn't like church very much. And maybe the skeptic. Maybe the person that's been hurt by church. Or maybe the person that just doesn't even like church at all. That's okay. Welcome to Quell Creek where they allow a broken down preacher's kid to look at scripture. This is a place for you. This is a place where you come and bring questions and doubts and fears and brokenness, and that's okay. It's okay to follow Jesus. Jesus was telling this group of people, a follower had to give their life away. The other day, uh, Dr. Pogue, Fred Pogue, he and his family attend here. Uh, we were talking about flying, and he said, let's go fly. And I was like, okay, 
So he has this small airplane, and we take off out of the airport, and, and uh, Mark, Malik, and I were there, and uh, we take off, and we get up in the air, and we're flying over Amarillo. It's awesome, just an experience. And as we're flying, Fred goes, all right, pastor, you're ready to take control? And I went, what? Because I'm not a pilot. I can drive a car, but piloting a plane is what you know, professionals do. And he said, so here's how it's going to go. I'm going to say your control, and you're going to say my control, and then you're going to grab onto the sticks. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And he goes, your control, and I went, my control. I wondered at this point, I haven't asked Mark this, if he wasn't just praying in the back, Lord, help the pastor to not crash us to the ground. Um, by the way, before we flew that day, it was my daughter's birthday, and the last word she said to me before I left to go meet Fred was, don't die on my birthday. <laughs> so that was comforting. Uh, so I, I take control, and he goes, okay, I'm thinking, I'm going to hold on to control, and I'm just going to stay straight ahead in the air. No ups, no downs, no turns, just, he goes, okay, let's head off that direction. And I was like, ah. So let me just tell you what's going on in my mind. I'm stressed. I mean, I've got a staffer and a church member in the plane with me. I'm thinking, what if I do something wrong and we plummet to the ground and the newspaper reads, you know, pastor kills, you know, youth pastor and doctor in town, tragic airplane accident. That's all that was going through my mind. Before then, I'm looking around. I'm taking an Amarillo. I'm taking pictures out the side. But when I took control of this, all I could see was straight ahead. And he said, so turn this way, and I'm going. We level out, and I'm like, okay. And I don't know how long this happened for. I'd like to think for like three seconds. And I went, I'm going to give you back control. And he goes, all right. And I said, your control. He goes, my control. And I put my hands down, and they're sweaty. I'm like, driven sweat. I'm like, oh. I, in the back of my mind, I was literally singing, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, I... I was just like, oh. And then he goes, oh, you know what? It's cool. You, I mean, if you would have done it, it would have gone like this. And we're like, and Mark and I are both like, oh, you know, this is awesome. So thankful for this moment. But that's what happens when you try and lead your Christian walk. You have to give your life away. You have to at some point in your life say, Lord, your controls. And let him say, my controls. And you got to take your hands off. Because you're not going to enjoy the views. You're not going to enjoy life trying to lead yourself. I can promise you, if anything, you're going to crash. You need someone to take control. How can you lead your family if you're in control? You can't. How can you save your marriage if you're in control? You can't. How can you do good at work when you're in control? You can't. It's an impossibility. We have a God, and he wants to lead us. He loves us. He is rich in mercy, rich in love. He sends Jesus to die for us. And all he says is, let go of the control. Amen. And when we do, we start to enjoy the things around us. We soak it in. We start to believe that God can do things that seem unimaginable. When our church was growing on 6th Street, it got to a point where it was just overrun with people. Parking was bad. They had bought up houses all around. They built parking lots. It just, it had gotten insane. And so they decided they, they believed that God had a bigger plan for our church. 
And so they looked around the city and they found a piece of land where there was nothing going on. Uh, The only thing that was happening out here was there's a possibility that there may be a golf course built. And the church came and they prayed over this land. And God gave them a price on this land that was God-sized. Awesome. And they built the church. And there was a season where it was hard to pay this building off. But they did it. A debt-free church this size is just insane. But you know what? Since they built this place, thousands have come to know Jesus Christ. You're a part of that story. And God can use land that no one would touch, no one would buy, to build a church that no one could put under. Because God was going to do something with it. I'm telling you something today. Those of you that are holding on to the control of your life and you believe that you're the best at it, I want to give you a challenge this week. For one week, let God have the reins. Just say, God, you know what? Pastor Kyle is crazy, but he said that I can trust you to let you lead my life. And so I know there's a big decision to be made. What would you do? And take his lead. God, I'm I'm struggling with this, with relationships or whatever. And God, I need an answer. What would you do? Lead me. I'll follow. See what happens. Because I want you to know something about this passage to end it today. When Jesus says those that are going to follow me, that are going to be worthy of me, will take up their cross and follow me. And he who wants to find his life will lose it. And he who loses it for my sake will find it. Jesus is really saying something special to us. Jesus never asks his followers to do anything that he would not. This day when he says, if you're going to follow after me, you've got to be willing to give it all away. That's exactly what Jesus was going to do for us. It's what he did. He proved it. We live in a really skeptical time. I mean, maybe more so than any other time since I've been born and kind of had knowledge of it. I'm watching my world be really ugly. I I can remember times of hope. I can remember times of joy. And right now I'm watching the news and I don't see that, do you? I see a sea of hate and of malice and it's, it's breaking my heart. But imagine Jesus who emptied himself completely of everything he could be in God and took on the form of a servant and became obedient, as Scripture says, to death, even death on a cross. And he did that for you and I because God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for it. And that whoever would believe in him wouldn't just simply have a birth certificate and a death certificate. They would have eternal life. And maybe today you need a new certificate. I'm a simple guy, I think. And I don't get it right a lot. And I'm still a sinful dude that has to go to God and ask for forgiveness. But let me just tell you one thing I know for certain. It's the day I take my last breath. It's the day's it for me. If my time is up, I know where I'll be for eternity. Because seven-year-old Kyle in Crosbyton, Texas at a tent revival heard the gospel one more time and gave my life to Christ. 
And since seven, I wish I could tell you I've been the perfect Christian. I think I've been the normal one. (laughs) Stubborn, sinful, prideful. But I can tell you one thing that hasn't changed. Jesus is the same Jesus when I was seven as he is right now. And he loves me and he loves you. And he took up a cross for you and I so that we wouldn't simply tweet about it, but that we would live it. Today, we see a society where people can put anything they want on social media and become anything. It doesn't have to be real. It just has to be what you want. We're in a selfie society where we take pictures in front of billboards and act like we're in Italy. Everybody believes it. We're in such a strange world that I didn't grow up in, but that I'm in today and I'm watching my children be raised in. With all that could be fake, there is one genuine thing I will tell you. Church is always going to be hard to come to and belong to because we are it. It's not a building. It's not on a street. It's everywhere where there's people that follow after Jesus and struggle towards looking more and more like him. And so as you came today to Quell Creek, you can just know the church met all up and down this block. You just happened to come into the building at Quell Creek. But I want to tell you what I think is happening inside this room and why I think it's special. We're trying to build community. We want when you walk in this room that you find connections. We want you to feel like you have a place to grow. And then we want to launch you to service. Because we believe the church shouldn't exist in buildings. It should go out into its community. You can make a change in your life by simply letting go of the reins and allowing the Lord to lead you. If you can believe that Jesus is who he says he was, if you believe that scripture is true about him, they really did die for your sins on that cross. really did raise from the dead. And you can believe that he can lead your life. Today, scripture says that you can be saved. And that doesn't happen with coming down an aisle. Here in a minute, we're going to have that moment. I'll be down here, Dale, John. We'll be here to greet you, pray with you. But that salvation doesn't happen here. It happens here. It's personal. It's relational. And today you need it, just like I do. And so today, if you've done the church thing and it hadn't worked, I'm with you. I want Jesus to change me. And I want him to lead me. And I want him to make us the church. Like he's always wanted us to be. Today, if you need to know him, right where you are, pray that simple prayer of, God, I need you. Do you know there's not a prayer in scripture of salvation? There's never a moment that says, if you will pray this prayer, you will be saved. But there is a conversation that anyone that believes in him. And so I like making it vocal. It says, if you'll believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. That's prayer. So today, right where you are, you can say something as simple as, Lord, I need you. Save me and lead me from here on out. If you believe and confess, you're saved. I want to celebrate with you. I'm a football kid. I like high-fiving. I like fist-pumping. I, I just... I'll even jump up in the air and side bump you if that's what it needs. But I believe it's worth celebrating when someone comes to know Jesus. And so let's celebrate with you. Make it known. Maybe today you need a place for community. You need a place to call home. You need a family to belong with. This is a great place to land your life.
And we want to be alongside you. We want to be the people that encourage your walk. So today, if you need a, a family to belong to, come let us know that. We call that membership. Let me just tell you, membership is like a gym. You can go and not, it not matter. This is a family. When you don't show up, you get a phone call, right? So this is a family to belong to. So if you need a family of faith to belong to, this is a good one. And today, maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you need somebody to come alongside you and just put their arms around you and pray over you. That's what we want to be for you. Because we believe this is a great place to do it. Because we have a Jesus who took up his cross for us. Now it's our chance to follow after him with all we've got for the very end of our lives. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, God, that's my prayer. God, we're all on this, this trip called life. And Lord, we've been holding the reins for too long and we just haven't been experiencing what we thought we would. And so God, we pray that today you would lead our lives. Lord, speak over us. Lord, over this whole group that's in this room, this community of believers, this community of skeptics, this community of doubters, Lord, all that. Lord, we all just come today with one simple thought. We want to know Jesus more. So because of that, Lord, lead us and guide us. Help us to know you deeply. God, we pray that as we have this time of invitation, Lord, you'd speak to our lives. Lord, today people would come to know you as Savior and Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.